Hello, and welcome to the podcast, The Other Woman and the Wife, where we discuss why infidelity exists and what we can learn from it. Today, I'm joined by Romy. Romy is a somatic therapist in my nearby area, and she is going to be sharing her professional opinion with me as it relates to infidelity. We will be discussing the effects of shame and understanding why people who are in affairs choose not to seek therapy, what holds them back. We will also be discussing how the body goes about storing trauma, and we do an exercise to reveal the effects of shame on the body. Without further ado, here is the episode. One of the questions that I would like to start with is, why do you think people in affairs choose not to seek therapy? Well, I've been thinking a lot about this, and it pertains to every single aspect of life. It's not for everyone, that's for sure. So it's not like everyone should. There's no shoulds. But luckily, it's becoming more popular, and so people are aware that therapy is helpful. But I would say that with affairs, it pertains to all these other categories. So there's this deep exploration of yourself and all the things that you need to uncover to grow and to realize what is not working and what is working in your life. So it would make sense if you're in an affair and you're nervous or you're processing something that you're not clear about yet, that there's a sense of, well, if I go to therapy, it's going to, shit's going to hit the fan and everything that I know within me that I don't want to verbalize might come out especially in the realm of body-centered psychotherapy, which is new and a lot of people don't know about that. It's what I practice. It can feel like it's stuck in the body, some of these concerns. And it's actually, in my opinion, a safer way to go in because it's not so cerebral and cognitive as much. It is more about regulating, calming down, tuning into yourself and really getting into yourself. There's a lot of modes of therapy, but I think there's some stigma with talk therapy being around principles or right and wrong. And therapy is really about supporting you to do what you need to do and get clear. And that's the therapist's job. I hope for people to feel into the possibility that there's safety to talk to people about these things, including affairs. And it's important. I agree. It is very important. I didn't engage therapy until I was in the affair. Once I was in the affair, I was like, oh, my God, all of these childhood belief systems, I have totally fucked myself. And it wasn't until I engaged therapy that I understood the purpose of therapy. Can you expand a little bit on your thoughts on the purpose of therapy? Yeah, good for you. To I didn't know that about you when I, we had our wonderful chat. Just to know to talk to someone at that time is not easy. So that's awesome. The purpose of therapy, well, gosh, it's interesting to look at it in any kind of specific purposeful sort of way because there's so many factors. I would say like the number one purpose of therapy is to get more in touch with yourself. And I'll reference somatic psychotherapy a lot because that's my specialty, but a lot of different modalities will help us to inform. So whether it's intellectual, psychoanalytic or psychodynamic, which is a lot of what I do is psychodynamic as well, where you're going to talk about what was the origin of where some of these distresses came from. Some therapy styles and approaches are going to do that more, and some people don't like that, right? Some are going to talk about childhood a lot. Some are going to help support you. Trauma-based therapy or somatic therapy, relational, psychodynamic, a lot of these things are going to help us go, okay, what happened both in the here and now that is 
troublesome and you want to talk about it, but also what happened earlier, whether it was 30s, 20s, teens, childhood, earlier from whatever age you are, that wired in this belief or this awareness that something is wrong. Whether it's something's wrong with you, something's wrong with your situation, there's a lot of this inner critical voice. And that's a big part. So if I was to cluster it into one large answer, I would say that, what I just said. But then there's here and now therapy. There's some people do coaching. It's like, here's my situation. What the fuck do I do right now? Help me. And a therapist can flesh that out. And there's a lot of approaches where that's what they'll focus on. So those are things that are more strategic, solutions oriented, stuff like that, which is all really great. But in my experience, and I'm biased as both a client for many years and as a therapist, it's when we go into what happened that created these response patterns in our bodies, our nervousness, our fight or flight, our excitement, our desire, our feelings of sadness, all these things are the human condition, but when they're not regulated, we need to learn from the past a little bit and go, okay, how does that inform now? That's the part right there for the therapeutic intention. You've touched a little bit on that inner dialogue that happens. And one of the things that I've been learning through this whole experience is that our thoughts actually impact the way that we feel overall. Can you tell me a little bit of your professional opinion on that? Gosh, in another life, if I was a scientist, I would love to study the neuroscience of belief. And there's a lot of references. There's so much evidence of how we have these thoughts and it manifests into emotional response patterns or it manifests into behaviors. The more, you know, you hear about the New Age movement, which was a big part of the 80s and 90s when I was growing up, and it really talks about just positive thinking and positive this and positive that. And that is really important. A lot of things that speak about manifestation and the law of attraction and the manifestation powers, those I do really believe. So those are like the positive side of things. Like when we think what we want to create, what is our vision? What do we want to do? What do we want to make happen? That could be business, that could be love, that could be material, whatever. That creates the reality for a lot of people, especially when there's a consistent intention and maybe even practice work on it. But then there's the embodiment part. There's our thoughts that do create negativity and positivity and all these things. But there's also what's happening to our soma, to our body when we're having these thoughts. So that's when there's early patterns, the nervous system's involved in that, and we get into a bit of a cycle. So to simplify that, I would say to really notice how do we feel when we have these thoughts? What is happening when we have these thoughts? Is the heart racing a little bit? Does the body shut down? Do you get cold? Do you get hot? Is there a fight or flight response in some capacity? And I could talk on and on about this, but when you start to track what's happening when you have your thought, there's a regulation ability that starts to happen. And that's the really cool work that we all have the capability of doing. And it sounds complicated, but it's really not. So thoughts definitely predicate bad experiences a lot of the time, but they don't have to if they're embodied, I guess. That makes sense. Yes, it does. It makes a lot of sense for me because I've experienced it. I don't know if that makes sense, but definitely. Tell me more about that. Well, uh, you know, in the in the beginning, like right after the affair, I felt like so much shit about myself. And all I was doing was perpetuating this negativity inside of my own head. And that made the world a super negative place to be. And then I had this epiphany that like I was kind of in hell. I was creating my own inner hell and I needed to enrich my myself in order to flourish and thrive. And how I went about that was by educating myself and asking for help 
and all of those things, which nobody really taught me how to do it. I think I really started to lean into my intuition after the affair. And uh, I kind of eliminated, eliminated this stranger danger mentality that I had that other people were out to get me or that I was even capable of being gotten. So I started to move around the world with a better sense of what it is that I want to become. Can I ask you a question about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. If you were to distill to either a moment or a feeling or a thought that helped you take that plunge into self-discovery? What was it? What if I'm wrong? wrong? I love it. I had this moment where I was just like, why do I feel like shit all the time? And why is life not as fulfilling as I think it could be? A lot of that was circumstances that I didn't understand that I was in. And it was a lot of coming to terms with the human experience, you know, and I really wanted to understand what is life? What am I doing here? And what is the purpose? What is the intent of me being here? I have a question for you. Do you think that people in affairs are acting with intention? I think that is a subjective Thing, the word intention and what it means for people. So it's probably, I don't know if it's for me to say, because it would really depend on the individual. So I guess maybe if you want to clarify what does intention mean for you, and then we can go deeper into the question. I've basically concluded in my own mind that during that time in my life, I was pretty reckless and that I was a very reactionary being on the planet and that I really didn't understand how to act with intent and how to connect my mind to what I was doing in the present moment. So, I mean, I took it so far as to being like, when I'm brushing my teeth, am I actually thinking about what I'm doing or am I, am I not present? So I think what the experience of infidelity does, which is gratify unmet wants and needs, is that something that people operate with intention or is it just a reaction? Wow, that's a great question. I think you just said a big part of it as you started to go into and feeling it. This sounds silly, like, where's my toothbrush? That is amazing that you said that because just the other day I was really busy and I was rushing around and I was like, I had meditated a little bit, but I hadn't done my usual thing. And so I was walking down the stairs at the complex that my partner and I live in. And I was walking down the stairs and I was like, okay, I've got eight stairs and I'm going to walk slowly down these eight stairs. And if that's the best I can do today before doing some yoga or doing some breathing, that's fine. Because look at me, I noticed the stairs, right? So that's coming from someone with a 25-year yoga practice and we all get totally busy, totally flooded, totally overwhelmed, right? So I think in terms of affairs, the more intentionality people do bring to them, it would be interesting. And that might be a case study you could do is do a little experiment and take some visitors for that. What would happen if for the next four weeks, everything was super intentional? And when I said it's subjective, that's the hard part is, and there's another layer to this, but why it's subjective is what does intentional look like for that person? Would it mean they're in the woo-woo land or the spiritual or mindfulness practice land like some of us, and they're going to meditate for five minutes before they text their lover? Does it mean they're going to take five days off from correspondence and see, I'm totally making these up by the way. No, it's this just is great. Keep going. You're yeah. doing an excellent job. Yeah. I'm not saying anyone has to do this, but I just want to give it as an example. Of what would it be like to take five days off? 
from that dopamine hit of getting that text or getting that email or whatever it is, get, you know, and is that intentional for them? Is intentional doing it a certain way in terms of planning? Okay, maybe I'm only going to do it in the plans are only going to happen in this location. So that's the external of intention, right? Is what's the intention of this arrangement? And then, like I said earlier, it's the internal intention. So what's your internal intention? Is it to come back to yourself and really notice, is this right for me? Is this amazing for me? Is it wrong for me? Whatever that is for yourself and get into this like felt sense. And that's where, unfortunately, what you said, what's this like semi-ADHD, super fast, super friendly people. And with that kind of presentation, sometimes comes a lot of acceleration. And so when we're in this moment of acceleration, it sounds like you were in that space during your affair. You said the word impulsive then we're impulsive. And so if I was to totally generalize, because again, we're not impulsivity is on a spectrum, then the impulsivity can sometimes drive us out of the here and now. It isn't necessarily bad or good, but it's not coming from a grounded centered place sometimes. When I think of any things that have gone wrong in my past relationships that were impulsivity driven, it was usually coming from a place of me not being okay within myself. And so I needed to go and take action. So that happens with sex, that happens with drugs and alcohol, that happens with travel, it happens with there's this impulsivity. Do I feel good when I'm being impulsive like this? Beyond the quick hit, you know what I'm saying? Which, which is the dopamine, oxytocin if you're around the person, that yeah. kind of stuff. I actually asked this question in the community the other day. I said, how much of an affair is actually an addiction to a device, Right. I think that when I was in the affair, when Stan and I were both in the affair, Stan always said, you have created a monster out of me because I cannot stop looking for you by my phone. And so he was really, it was really interesting. And I was like, I didn't create a monster. What are you talking about? Right, right. <laughs> I am he, the monster. He, and that's the inner critic, right? You're the monster. Let's point blame on who's the problem when it's such a bigger thing. I could go into that, but what Stan said makes me think of this idea of the addiction of the phone. And I remember I actually went through a situation like that. I've had one situation where I was the other woman, but it was a brief thing. I don't even remember how many years ago with somebody who it wasn't really relationship material, but he was on a break from his wife. So it wasn't technically unallowed in their arrangement. But for all I know, it probably wasn't. <laughs> and it's interesting you said that about Stan, because the only time I've really been in that as the other person with, again, this person shared with me that they were both in an arrangement where they could have someone else come in, but they just didn't talk about it. And that's probably a whole nother conversation. Your quintessential, say, classic AF kind of thing. But what I remember is totally what Stan felt. I was in a really weird place in my life and working at an agency that was really demanding as a psychotherapist. And I would just look forward to that tech. And it became this obsession with both of us, he and I, where it was just nonstop texting until it fizzled out. It was addiction, right? And I'll get to why, but there was that feeling of that's the one thing in my day. And then talking about probably about six, seven years ago, this happened. That's the one thing in my day that is going to give me some cheap thrill. I hate to be crass, but right. There's this cheap thrill to like, oh, I know I'll get the text. And plus, if you're at work and you're bored and all this stuff, I'm sure you guys could relate to that when you were up north. And so I remember noticing it. And now because I do this for a living and I've done a lot of therapy on myself as well, 
Now, when I reflect back on it, I'm just like, oh, poor sweetie for myself. You know, like she was in a really hard place and she was needing love and attention. And that was the closest thing that was giving it to her at the time. And now I would never want to do that. And we were texting so much. My thumbs got carpal tunnel for that month. I didn't even think about this story, actually, until you mentioned what Stan did. So, you know, we all have our experiences of it, but from a psychodynamic perspective for people that are maybe a little unfamiliar with relational psychotherapy, what's happening is there's a part within us that's not feeling loved and it's not, we don't love ourselves. And I'm not saying this is the case for every situation. I'm just speaking for myself. There's this part that is going, if only I get this, then it's like a drug addiction in a Mm -hmm. sense. It's like just waiting for that next hit. And that sounds a little dramatic. It doesn't have to be morose or some terrible thing, but it's just more about the psychoeducation of it. What's going on within that person where they are glued to their device 12 hours a day? There's something out of balance there. What about going outside? What about talking to your girlfriend? Completely, 100%. The other thing that I wanted to talk to you about is a lot of people, whenever I introduce this idea into the world of discussing infidelity openly and understanding why it occurs and what we can learn from it, their response to me was just don't. And I was like, when has that ever worked? When has just don't ever worked? I really don't think that you can combat infidelity by just saying no. It's like telling a child just don't. They're going to be completely intrigued into why not? Exactly. Wow. Good point. There's so much to that. So it's the child thing is great because that you use that analogy because I was, I won't get into it, but when you follow some of the things going on online right now with child abuse and the way that people parent, where they're expecting a developmental phase to be different than it is by the way they actually communicate with the child, that is ridiculous. Like this is the emotional version of that, right? Like we're trying to put people into a one fits all situation. And I think it's similar to what you and I were talking about earlier when we mentioned this is kind of like how wars and how politics get so aggressive because there's this only one way mentality. Mm -hmm. So I'm not speaking and saying it's all good or it's all bad. I just think that there's too many shades of gray for anything in life to put a perspective that's dualistic on the human experience. There's too many factors. By verbalizing that thought, you just made my body feel so good. I saw your breath and that's what it's all about. Look at that breath. Just there was something in your body that went, I resonate with that. When you just paused and you felt that and that's it right there. So if we're caught up in all the wrong and the shaming and these people that want to attack platforms like yours or whatever, or they're afraid to speak on It's all part of this fear-based culture of what about having loving conversation about these things? What about just opening ourselves up and having real discussions rather than shaming? And when people in relationships do that, even though it's still hard, you know, relationships are really hard. Communication is really hard. I'm in one. It reduces the fear, first of all, because you're shining a light on it. Carl Jung had a quote that said, the only way to meet the darkness or get into the darkness is to go through You can't see the light if you're not going to shine into the darkness. It's not really going to be there. And Mm -hmm. so it makes me think of that. And then also just the word subjective keeps coming up. Like if everyone has such a unique experience, how can there be two different options, bad and good? I could go on, but it's a complex thing to think about. 
Well, it's interesting that Carl Jung quote that you just brought up that is pointing to willful ignorance, which I think has its place in the conversation of infidelity. And I'd really like to quell that willful ignorance by surfacing it. If you are the other woman in your relationship and you love this podcast, you would love the other women community. The other women community is a membership program designed to help other women just like you reclaim their relationship with themselves and heal from their affair. We provide a safe and supportive environment for you to open up and talk about your experiences. We give you the tools and resources you need to grow into an authentic, empowered individual. If you're ready to take the next step in your healing journey, head on over to theotherwomanandthewife.com backslash community to learn more about the membership and all it has to offer. All right, let's jump back into the episode. We naturally started to go into the topic of shame. So I'd like us to proceed into that. In your opinion, you know, what purpose does shame serve and what does it stem from? I love that question so much. I've been pondering it because it was something I was thinking about just the other day. Shame is a big topic and I recommend people read up or listen to Brene Brown sometime because she's a real expert on shame and written books and all that kind of stuff to give a real academic perspective with a heart. But I would say from my perspective and from a relational somatic psychotherapy perspective, shame is information. It's telling you something is off. But what your critic people would say, I forgot what word you used for the haters, is that's telling you're bad, right? That's connected to a whole other topic you could do on dogma and religion and belief and right and wrong and morality, which we're not going to go into. But shame itself is something that usually happens within us on an emotional level. And it also happens on a somatic level. Go ahead and just maybe close your eyes for a moment and take a breath. And we can both think about when was the last time we felt shame? So it might take a few seconds to just really find it. I'm going to have you go first because I'm really curious. And then if you want, I can go. So give me an example. Do you remember in that moment, you don't have to say what it was. Do you remember any feeling in your body or any temperature or any kind of activation sensation? It's like a vacancy. Say more. Any other words that come with a location of the vacancy in your body? It's like I'm not present inside of my body and I'm more concerned with the external perception of what it is I'm doing. And the moment I'm thinking of is I took my golf cart out to go pick up the kids. I feel like I know my inner self really well. And what I do to myself in those moments is I start to think, oh my God, people think you're so lazy. Oh, interesting. Oh my God, people think you're showing off. And it's all of these thoughts that come to mind. Nobody said that to me. I said that to myself. Then it makes me feel like I just don't want to be there. I have to run. I have to hurry up and hide. That's how I can vocalize what happens inside of me. Good. Let's take it a step deeper, okay? So you have that feeling you want to run. Describe that for me. So are you in the golf cart when this is happening? Oh, yes. I'm in the golf cart and I'm driving. So you're in the golf cart and all those things you just really succinctly said. Then what happens? Is it a feeling? Because earlier you said vacancy. Does it have a feeling of drawing in or is there a feeling of I got to go? Definitely a feeling of I got to go. I am a disappointment to the people around me. So what we're doing, and this is a good practice for everyone, which is why I'm doing it with us. There's the critical voice and there's the thought of what you're going to do in your mind and what's wrong with you. And I share that because we've all experienced some form of shame. But beyond the negative thinking, when you're in that moment where you had those beliefs, you felt this need to, I got to flee, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes. And did you notice anything in your body? Did you notice any kind of 
sensation or temperature or did it feel more like you said vacant? Could you not even feel much in your body? And I know we're reflecting on the past, so this is a bit hard. It feels like I'm in trouble. What does that feel like? What's that? So describe that feeling like when we're in trouble, what happens in the body? Is it like certain part of the body tense? It becomes rigid. My entire being becomes rigid. Got it. So that's a perfect example. When we confront the shame, and in your case, all the inner critical voice talk, which I definitely know that one, and that's a lot of what I do with people is we work with that. When we feel it, we reduce the effects of it. So for example, if we're in the go-kart or the golf cart, sorry, and we're like, I got to get the fuck out of here, man. Like these people are going to judge me, blah, 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 blah. I got to go. And then you said rigid. I feel like you were going to say tight, but you used a different word. It's like there's this feeling in the body that's informing you that you're going into some form of fight or flight response. So this is so powerful, but we don't get taught it at all when we're younger. And even mainstream psychology doesn't really go into kind of work, which is why I love to talk about it and practice it. Because if we just take a few minutes, maybe out of eyesight from whoever you might have noticed that saw you in this scenario, or you teach it to your kids if they were in the car, in the golf cart, you might be like, hey, we're going to do five breaths together and we're going to make a silly noise after we inhale. We're going to inhale and we're going to be like, right? Little tiny things like that to go into the feeling. And then once you've done that for two minutes, maybe five, probably 10, then you're like, do I still have to flee? Do I still have to run? So I got a little off topic from your original question, but I think this is an example of shame informs what's happening that's not in balance within ourselves. So So say that again. Shame informs what's not in balance within ourselves. That's pretty fucking profound, Romy. It's so mammalian. And that's why I geek out on somatic psychology. It's mammalian. We go into fight or flight, but we don't live in the wild anymore. Where, this is a funny image, where the moms from school are running after you like a lion to kill you, right? That's like the proverbial (laughs) image here. So like we don't live in the wild anymore. So the moms, the early childhood response patterns that we develop that keep us safe turn into I'm going to flee in the golf cart (laughs) rather than I'm going to be hunted by a mountain lion off Cathedral Oaks or whatever. We are evolved in a lot of ways, but we're still mammals and we still have this limbic system response that says, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Get me the fuck out of here. So the more we get in touch with that, and that's what mindfulness does, especially somatic mindfulness, that's what therapy can do, especially somatic therapy. EMDR is really good for this. It's called eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing, big heavy word, but EMDR. All these approaches get us to go, wait a minute, where am I in all this? So it's like haters gonna hate because the haters have the same response pattern. They're going through the same, they're going through the same stuff. If they're going to go and put a judgment on someone and they're going to get red in the face and they're going to get hostile and they're going to do this, that's not regulated. That's not peaceful. There you go. We're all one. Oh, we are all one. That's so great. Yes, we are. I love talking to you. I could talk about this forever. Love talking to you too, seriously. And just so listeners know, I go to Romy for body work and I try to go to her as often as I absolutely want to be on her table at all times. And it's so funny because I was such a, not a critic, but wasn't aware and I needed to educate myself. And most of the time, the way that I educate myself is through experience and conversation. So having the ability to speak up and ask questions has been something that I've really harnessed over the years. 
I'm proud of you. That's a big leap. It is. It's huge, especially for me. I want to always remind people they don't have to be super Zen on the mountain Buddhas who get body work and healing energy work and do yoga all the time. It's all about the little tiny things. And so it's really, if you can do the healing arts, great, because it's just going to make you feel better if you resonate. Some people don't resonate with that. There's other modalities. There's cranial sacral, there's energy work, there's coaching, there's psychotherapy, which I also do. These things are all about how does the person get a moment to be with themselves? and love themselves and be supported. That's really all that it's about. Because we all have these patterns from our childhood and from our relationships that lead us to be hard on ourselves. That really is so good that you said that because when I first started attending therapy, the way that I sold it to myself was that I needed to carve out time specifically to focus on myself. And so that was what I did. I obviously spend all this time taking care of other people. I'm an employee. I'm a wife. I'm all these things. And I wasn't taking time out for myself to really unpack some of the, I'll say, disgruntling experiences I've had in life and understanding why I had felt the way that I felt in moments that I don't think people were intending me to feel that way. And so being able to, you know, unpack, I used to go into therapy and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to unpack now. And it was like (laughs) pulling everything out of my head and laying it out and be like, okay, so like, why? Why? I think starting with why is kind of the best way to really get a sense of self. But back to you and your professional opinion. And we're definitely, I think we've made a lot of value in this episode so far, so we don't even have to go much further. But is the old adage, once a cheater, always a cheater, true? Wow. Yeah. Interesting way to bifurcate existence. (laughs) No, it's not true, in my opinion. I think that it's what we just talked about. It's like part B to what we just talked about. There's so much range in the human experience and there's so much potential for growth, whether it's like interpersonal growth, spiritual growth, if you believe in that, professional growth. That's kind of like saying, is somebody who only worked as a janitor always going to be a janitor? You know, wait, no. If that janitor decides to do something else with his or her life and go into school, maybe they're going to do something else. Maybe they're going to go into gardening. Maybe they're going to go get an associate degree. Maybe they're going to get a PhD. Nobody knows. It's like an easy out to say something like that. Mm -hmm. And to assume that means that, but here's the rub, is that's also not an excuse to not be clear and look at the signs and look at the behaviors of what somebody's offering you. We have to be careful with the sort of illusions or the confirmation biases, which is when we have a belief so strongly that we're just like, you know, that's cool. Well, I heard this therapist talk about how they're not always a cheater if they were once a cheater. So it's not, we have to be careful to not make these really specific divisions as if it's more and. It's not but, it's and. Is that person who was a cheater Do they want to look at themselves? Do they want to be better communicators? Do they want to talk to their spouse or their affair partner about what they're doing more in depth? Some of these people want to go to therapy. Would you agree with that? It's connected to their willingness. I think through facilitating the conversation, the response that I have come up with to once a cheater, always a cheater is somebody who holds that belief. The contradiction that is at play is that that also informs the belief that people are incapable of change. I believe that people are capable of change. I think all it requires is a simple want to change. Then you can change your whole life. 
by acting on that one. Everything can change. Look at you. And I want to speak to silly janitor metaphor and add to it because something just came to me. There's also the other side. Like I love what we're focusing on is the inspiration and the choice to make change and like what you did and how you're helping inspire other people to do that. And then there's also people that like being where they're at and there's nothing wrong with where they are at for them. That was a big struggle for me in my single years was figuring out, really seeing people for who they were. And so it's kind of like the janitor metaphor is there's very happy janitors with beautiful lives Mm -hmm. and they might not want to change. And there's very happy, quote unquote, cheaters or people who want to be unfaithful. And they in their psyche, for some reason, I don't know any of those folks personally, but it's like just there's people that are happy in monogamy or happy being faithful. There's going to be people that are in their space that they are in. And the projection someone else has onto them, just like we would project onto a career being bad or good. It's just not fair because it's too unique. I think that kind of made sense, but I I was looping the two together. It's like there doesn't have to be growth for some people, but then it's up to us to make the decision. Are those the people we want to hang out with? I like the janitor metaphor a lot because I remember when I was in a state of unhappiness, really struggling to understand what happiness is, how to achieve it and all of that. And one of the things that I would challenge myself, I do have a very privileged life. There's these people who lack a lot of privilege, yet they seem so satisfied within their soul. And I really started to look closely at them and use them as inspiration. What are the things that they're focused on? And so like I wanted to be that person who, if I decided to become a janitor, I wanted to be a happy janitor. Yeah. You go for it all the way. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I I had one time ago, I had this really VIP client here in Santa Barbara and Montecito. She was prestigious woman, done a lot of philanthropy. And I remember her and her partner had just the most loving connection. It spoke to me for years. I was like, that's what I want. And they were so sweet to each other. And I remember one day she was talking about the garbage man and she was like, that garbage man. And she was just raving about him. She's like, just loves life more than anyone else I have ever met. And he's so blissed out by this. However, she said it, you know, she's a 70 something year old woman. And this was 15 years ago. But it really stuck with me. It's kind of like, how do we choose our happiness in the moment? And that's why things like mindfulness practices, meditation help remind us of that. So you don't have to be woo woo or spiritual, but to come back and go, where's the gratitude? what do I have? Because so many people have that. And also what makes me happy? Is it community? Is it nature? Is it self-care? And we should be taught that when your kids' ages. I think I'm a little older than you to remember this, but why did we get taught to do health ed rainbow bunt cake? That was our health class in seventh grade as we learned how to make little cake. And it was like, why home ec or whatever I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Home, yeah. Ec. home economics. So it's like yeah. home ec and woodshop, right? Now woodshop was cool, but but it's like home you ec, took woodshop what? too shut yes, up me yes. too i wish i had my salt and pepper shaker but <laughs> i made planes mr jury Ooh, i'll never forget him yeah. i made balsa wood planes and you still i did have a lot them? of hell no wow. i don't hold oh, on damn. to shit i yeah, am not yeah, yeah. you know yeah. i'm like get rid of it Serves well, no purpose. I'm, I'm not a perf- I'm not a perfectionist in my salt and pepper shaker let's just say it wasn't completely aligned mathematically but um, but yeah, I love that you did that. But it's, I guess, just to say it's like my vision, and I keep saying this when I talk about psychology, it's can we just get some kind of early education for people to understand the importance of self-care and self-love and the impermanence? Things are not permanent. And that's a hard one for me, too. 
My partner is way better at that than I am. He's just, I see everything at the same time. I am here. I am there. I am grateful for you now. If it, if it doesn't work out, it'll still be beautiful. He's one of those people. Yeah. And it's hard given all the stuff we already talked about. Our past, our little T traumas, our big T traumas. Romy, it's been a pleasure having you on this podcast. I've loved uh, being able to get to know you in my real life. Just knowing you has really changed my existence. So I'm very grateful. For the last thing that I would like to leave my listeners with is uh, your response to the question, are people who cheat inherently bad people or does the act of cheating make them bad? I don't think it's an or if for me, I would say neither. I think that we are human beings that are here to learn and to grow. And we have experiences that we have the opportunity to let those experiences inform us. Those experiences might hurt people. Those experiences might hurt yourself. Those experiences might blow shit up. And it's up to us to go, okay, what's the information here? What am I not looking at? What is this about? And what we didn't really get to today, but I'll add now, is it's communication, right? It's all about where is the communication not happening? Because maybe it's not in this community per se, but there's so many communities that welcome relationships with multiple partners or just another partner where their communication is really paramount to create agreements. And I think that's another option for some people. And I think it's a unique community, but when there isn't communication and there isn't a feeling of safety, I think that's when people feel like they need to go elsewhere or they just maybe are better suited in a polyamorous situation or a consensual non-monogamous situation, which is another option for some people. You and I are going to do an episode on options, okay? Yeah, we should. I know some great people you could interview to speak to that whole community. I've observed them being remarkable people with excellent communication skills. And it doesn't mean like things don't get tricky and stuff like that. I personally am not in that kind of situation in my relationship, but it's not about being bad for cheating and people that cheat are bad. It's more, what is going on? Does this serve you? Does it serve your partner? Do you want things to be of like the most highest benefit for both of you? and partners. So mm -hmm. I hope that answers your question. I'm not sure. It does. I think you did a solid job. What do you think, Chell? About whether people are inherently bad? I want to hear your answer to that question. I refuse to believe that people yeah. are inherently bad. I believe that everybody comes into this world good and it's our experiences in life that change the way that we behave and pursue the world around us. And without processing those experiences, they become trapped within us. And we actually design a trap for ourselves inside of our own head. And that's how we bring hell to earth, I think, is not processing the experiences that we've already had. I think we have accomplished what we set out to do, which was, I hope that listeners feel empowered to seek professional help should they desire. And Romy, I think that you have inspired them to go into a conversation with a therapist and be willing to be honest and truthful and really just lay it all out there. A therapist is a human with a unique set of skills. Some of them are good. Not all of them are great. Okay? Go find yourself a therapist. If you desire to have a therapist, go for it. You do not need to be afraid. 
of judgment of anybody else. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you guys are so amazing. I'm so grateful that I met you and have had so much fun exploring this topic with you. And I'll just say if there's people out of the Santa Barbara area and they want to do telehealth, I do offer telehealth off my website so they can just go to romykumes.com and we can set something up or try to find someone else in my practice that can help. So I'm here to help if that is something that would offer support. You make me so happy that you just extended that to the listeners because I didn't know if that was something that you would be willing to offer. But yes, Romy is available for telehealth. Romy, you're such a safe space for people. Thank you.